Welcome to Outside the Box, a mental health initiative striving to end the stigma surrounding mental health. On today's episode, I'm in conversation with author Catherine May, who talks about her new book, Enchantment, Awakening Wonder in an Anxious Age. She'll share how we can reawaken our own sense of wonder instead of so often feeling burnt out and helpless. Oh, thank you for having me. This is a wonderful book. As I mentioned to you previously, I, I feel that, you know, this obviously so relevant because when I was reading just the very beginning of the book, I, I have a hard time, you know, concentrating on things in life. I don't know. I think it's like this pandemic brain. Mm. It seems very common, doesn't it? I think for loads of us, our attention span is just completely shot at the moment. And for me, I feel like that's because we've spent so long being afraid. And that means that we're constantly kind of, well, metaphorically and literally looking over our shoulder to see what threat's coming next. And it, it, it's obvious when you think about it that it's no wonder we can't concentrate on anything other than imminent danger if our brain is in that state. And it, it's exhausting. Yes. And Catherine, I've actually stopped watching the news because there are too many things oh, yeah. that trigger me. And I, I thought, I'll never leave my house. I mean, I can see why people don't yeah. want to leave their house at times. Oh, I totally get it. I mean, I have, I've now made a decision that I check the news once a day in the morning. I read the headlines. I look at any interesting stories and then I don't look at it again. And I've left Twitter for that very reason, because actually when I was on there, I was constantly stumbling across more and more worrying information. And sometimes it was being exaggerated and sometimes it wasn't. But either way, like I was just in this endless like adrenaline rush. Exactly. And I, I just thought, I can't do this myself anymore. We're not designed to know this much. It's too much. I agree. Well, the, there's a couple things going on too. I've noticed, um, well, first of all, social media has been so, it's been good and it's been bad, but it's been, when it's bad, mm. it's extremely de detrimental to mental health, especially for today's uh, youth. Um, yeah. But the other thing I will add is if you notice, like I'll, I'll check my Yahoo email, but on the front page, there is such, I guess you would call it clickbait, where there's these lead in lines that are like half of a sentence, like the real reason she lost oh, her yeah. or he'll never <laughs> forget where he put his. And, you know, come on. It's such mm. terrible journalism. It's honestly, it's mean. And yes, I, I mean, I use an email client on my on my laptop so that I don't have to see that. But I have also taken an email off my phone because I needed to disrupt my own checking behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, social media isn't inherently wrong and it gives me so much and it gives me so much community actually. Yes. But I cannot live with this level of vigilance anymore. It's too much. It's got to stop. I agree. I agree. And I've also mentioned uh, that it feels like the wild west, like anything goes, there's so much hate <laughs> and, you know, so to take a break, and find a book that you truly love. I mean, this is why I gravitated to having you on the show again, because I I just enjoy your work. So tell me about the process of writing this book. I, You really did the chapters in a very interesting way. Yeah. So, I mean, as you notice, like the book opens with me in the middle of that kind of really hypervigilant brain fog, burnout, whatever, you know, all of those different things that, that so many of us experienced after a few months of pandemic living. And 
I, I found it very, very hard to write the book for that reason. Mm-hmm. And it only really came together when I realised that I had to write from that sense of brain fog, fully acknowledging it, rather than from this like imagined future when I was fine. Yes. Um, and, I, and, yeah. <laughs> and once I started to try and express what I was going through, and, 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 you know, that was like a big challenge for me as a writer to just articulate that. Like, what does it actually mean when I say I've got brain fog? How does that feel? Right. And I was trying to capture some of the kind of the way that time had got muddled and how confused I often was and how kind of hopeless I often felt. Um, but I, I had to work towards it very, very slowly. And then the book is ultimately organised into sections that that map the classical elements. So... Um, earth, water, fire and air. And that actually came later when I was looking back over my drafts and thinking, how is this organised? Like I had lots of moments mm-hmm. <laughs> of experience, but then I thought, well, what what draws this together? And I realised how much I was talking about when I was thinking about how we become enchanted. It really was about engaging with those basic elements of life again and finding wonder of them but I also wanted to point out that I felt rearranged on an elemental level as well that that this change in me was so profound and that seemed linked to that that sense of like the basic components and building blocks of of life. Well and when you talk about awakening wonder you talk about your relationship with the moon right? Mm, mm. That was um yeah, that was a really special moment for me because I, I've i always had this relationship with the moon ever since I was a child. And I used to look out of the window as we drove along in the car and I used to think the moon was following me. Yeah. <laughs> and it was quite it was quite disappointing when I found that the moon wasn't, in fact, following me. <laughs> Who broke that um, to you? That's I, like I there's no Santa. The <laughs> I know. Yeah, oh, yeah, that was probably my grandma who also broke the Santa thing. <laughs> oh, no. She didn't. She didn't like flights to fancy. Um, <laughs> but actually, I I returned to that relationship with the moon during the pandemic, and I realised that I could find a lot of solace by stepping outside and spending some time with the moon, who always seemed like a sort of feminine presence to me. I always I always call the moon a she because it, I, I can't imagine the moon being a he. The the sun seems like a he to me. I think. Yeah. Um, and I, what I love about the moon is that you're witnessing, I mean, you're witnessing out of space, right? That's, that's incredible when you start to think about that in the sure. first place. But also, you're witnessing something that's constantly changing across the month. You know, just to, just to make a note in your mind of how the moon's moving through its phases instantly puts you in contact with elemental nature in a way that so many of us have fallen out of contact with. Yeah, And I find that actually really helpful now because those phases of the moon are then pointing us to those bigger building blocks of time mm-hmm. and a very different way of understanding time, which is much more cyclical. Yeah. And it, I think it also um, grounds you in knowing you're just a speck, <laughs> not in a bad way, Such but you're just, speck, yeah. And, yeah. and so what do you want out of life? You, where do you find meaning? What's so important right now? Those are the mm. questions you start, I think, you yeah. start asking yourself. Yeah, I mean, I used to be really troubled by being a speck, you know. <laughs> I remember <laughs> finding it very anxious to think about myself in that huge universe and what did mm-hmm. I mean. 
but now I feel the opposite. Like I'm hugely comforted by by being small and, and therefore I don't matter too much. You know, like I don't have to take control of this place. I'm just, I'm a cell in it. And that makes me feel interconnected with not just other people, but nature. Like I'm, a, I'm an atom in a massive machine that I can't possibly expect to understand. And, and therefore, like my hypervigilance around the news, for example, mm-hmm. becomes totally meaningless because how am I supposed to have any impact on that? I'm tiny. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think the only thing we can do when it comes to that is just try to instill kindness when you're out and about through your days because there, there are so many people that might come across as angry, but maybe that's rooted in fear. So to be kind could change somebody's day and that's the thing isn't it that we can have an impact on that micro scale on that on that interpersonal scale and to do that to to really enact that kindness Mm -hmm. we have to feel okay ourselves you know we have to feel safe and okay and rooted and able to as you say like make those decisions about how we react when someone seems unreasonable to us and yes if we can step outside ourselves for a moment it's so obvious quite often that people are in distress and they're overreacting and uh, we've all done it haven't we (laughs) oh absolutely yes (laughs) I, i once saw this really funny thing these two women separate cars they're driving and where are they going? They're going to yoga class, but you don't know that right away. And they're like mouthing things to each other because somebody's cut somebody else off and they're really aggressive. And then you find out they're going to yoga class. <laughs> so, which is ridiculous. <laughs> well, maybe they really need that yoga class. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say, you know, I feel like there's a lot of, it, you know, <laughs> I, I agree. I feel like there's a lot of lessons for, um, not just adults, but uh, for youth, today's youth, because I started this conversation talking about social media. And I have actually met um, some college students who now traded in their regular phones for flip phones because they realized how detrimental social media was to their mental health. Yeah, I... Oh, I have lots of thoughts about my phone, but I, I have to admit I'm still very wedded to it. But I, I do think that one of the things for many of us is how is the question, and this is a genuine open question, I don't know the answer, but how do we separate work life from home life? Because mm. it is the phone in our hands that infects the two. And I, I, it's all very well to say that it's our own behaviour and that we can choose not to check messages. But I, I think it's a bigger problem than that for us. I do too. And yeah, it's so hard to have something there and not to not to check it. Yes. And also like one of the things that I notice when I, I, I've actually now started just noticing when I'm doing a lot of checking and kind of flipping that over because it's often a symptom rather than a cause. Like it often shows me that I'm feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm I'm constantly rolling back onto my screen when I I don't really want to. Yes. And it it actually becomes like a sort of little signal for me to say, oh, is there something else going on? Are you okay? Is there, you know, is there something you need to do to make yourself feel a bit better so you're not constantly engaging in this behavior? That's really great self-awareness. I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I'll, I'll be scrolling through TikTok and all of a sudden I have to say to myself, 
is this a waste of your time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so I do that. I'm yeah. like, do I really need to be scrolling through this? Nope. It's a waste. What else could you be doing, Janine? That would be a better use of your time. Not this. Yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. And also to acknowledge that sometimes it's a great use of your time. You know, like sometimes that contact that it gives us with others, you know, perhaps friends that live in another location or, I agree. or with entertainment. Yes. is actually really positive and i i do worry about the way that we sometimes talk about social media which is that we must all leave it immediately without acknowledging what it's given us because i mean how much worse would the pandemic have been without it even you know, oh i agree it, it was humorous it connected us i saw grandmothers dancing playing drinking games i mean it's yes. it has been entertaining um so i i do recognize that yeah and yeah. and you know complete strangers having babies during the pandemic I was like in floods every time I was like oh my goodness they've had a baby you know? <laughs> it was a bit like holding it but not quite so <laughs> yeah, funny I, and you know as someone who's part of a community of of disabled people you know being autistic mm -hmm. I really value social media's ability to link me up with other people like me so that I can feel that sense of community which I can't get in other ways and so yes. it, we're all dealing with this incredibly complex thing and I it doesn't serve us to decomplexify it's going to carry on being complex for a long while yet because I don't think we want to do without it that's that's not the answer yes and I love that you just mentioned autism because one of the things I've noticed more on TikTok that has been wonderful is that people are posting not only about having autism, but having ADHD. Mm -hmm. And that's something I yes. recognized in myself um, just the past yeah. couple of years to the point of, you know, I have all these great creative ideas, but it's, it's a, it feels like a blessing and a curse sometimes, you know, cause you're all yeah. over the place. <laughs> yeah. Did you know yeah. at a young age, you wanted to become a writer? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I, in a funny sort of a way, I can't, I think I wanted to be a writer before I even read and before I liked books. Like the, really? It was the love of writing first. Yeah. I, one of my very earliest memories is sitting under my mother's dressing table, which had like a curtain around it and I could get under there, pull the curtains around and I would fill pages and pages with pretend joined up writing. <gasps> I couldn't write yet. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I would do these like, you know, little loops all over the page and on the next one and think that I was writing. Oh, that's um, adorable. And so, <laughs> yeah, it was probably really annoying at the time. But, <laughs> but I, yeah. And, and when I was, I can remember being kind of seven or eight and sitting down with my mother's typewriter and typing out plays like these. That was what I did in my summer holiday, like writing these long plays. So I, I love always, it. always wanted to write. Yeah. It was a it was a big driver for me, and it's it's actually I write an enchantment about um, about how writing is where I find my playfulness. Mm. You know, I I've never been very good at games or fantasy or role play. Like they they are absolutely not my thing. But writing is the the locus of my play, and it's where my my brain kind of experiments with things mm -hmm. and finds deep fascination and it, it's really magical to me to write okay so let me ask you this because i studied screenwriting here at uc irvine have you ever thought about screenwriting 
um, fleetingly, but I actually don't think that's the kind of writing I enjoy. Like whenever I've tried to write a script, mm-hmm. I've just got fed up of it because it's too, um, I don't know, it's... it's the structure? I, I want to write the description. Yeah, it's too structured, I think. But got I want it. to write the description in between. <laughs> I got it. Oh, there's all these gaps that I've got to leave for someone else. But yeah, no, I think, yes. I think prose is definitely my, my place. <laughs> Well, I love your work. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about this latest book, Enchantment? Oh, my goodness. I mean, so much. It's so hard to talk about a book that you've written because it's this vast thing in your head and Mm -hmm. it's hard to express any one corner of it. Um, But I think, you know, I think it's a it's a it's a book that feels very vulnerable for me to put out there because it's actually quite a spiritual book. And I'm a person that's never felt comfortable talking about spiritual matters or even acknowledging them. Um, but I think one of the things that really came to me very strongly in that pandemic time was was what a lack that felt like in my life. And there's a there's a narrative thread in the book which is about how I can learn to have a spiritual life without buying into some of the things that or any of the things that conventional spirituality or religion does that I don't like so sure. that that was a that was a huge learning process for me about it and I'm I'm really interested to hear other people's views on that as the, as the book begins to circulate because that was the bit that scared me the most when I was putting yeah. it out there definitely well it's a it's a sense of spiritual uh well-being without you don't have to be necessarily religious as you said in in one specific mm. religion it's you know, you. I have felt uh, moved spiritually by staring at the sky full of stars. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. That sense of awe. Yeah, yes. which is, and and I I love that kind of older definition of the word awe. We use it in quite a flat way now, but awe used to encompass terror, like the kind of terror that was like looking into the face of God, and the kind of feeling of deep humility that shakes you to your core um and that is that's not a a simple experience to unpack and it almost needs a bigger spiritual kind of story around it not not necessarily a fantastical story but a, a deeper understanding of how complex this this universe is and how complex our place is in it and i think in lots of ways, that is where I find my kind of spiritual sentiment is that sense of not just bigness, but complexity. And, mm-hmm. and that that is like a life's work to carry on exploring and unpacking and, and that I'll never solve it. I, I've learned to love that feeling. I love that. Well, plus, one thing that I've noticed is that um, in conversations with people on this show outside the box, there, there's been a lot of introspection in the pandemic and mm. the sky mm. is always there for people. But the question is, are you taking the time to just pause, put the pause button on your life and just stare out of the sky and have a moment of mindfulness? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we're all guilty of it, but we can go a whole lifetime without really engaging with that even though it's there and Mm -hmm. and yet if you ask people they'll say that you know they can't afford to travel to to find this or it's too far away or they're stuck at home and and actually nearly all of us have got 
those few few minutes to to just step outside and and take a look at the moon or the stars or you know as I do walk down to the edge of the sea because that's that's what's close to me. Yes. Um. It's it's momentary, but it's actually about the quality of attention that we bring to it rather than waiting for it to land on us. Like we have to do the work. I, th- I think I say in enchantment, the magic is of our own conjuring. Yes, absolutely. And uh, congratulations on the wonderful um, quote from Anne Lamott. Uh, she oh, described your book, A Beautiful Offering of Light, Truth and Charm. <laughs> I couldn't be happier with that. That's oh, just wonderful she's... From, from the Anne Lamott, you know, that's just incredible. Yes. She's wonderful. She was a guest on my other show on KUCI, and uh, I want to have her on this one outside the box. I don't know if I told you, but I started this show in 2020 in response to the mental health pandemic. And a lot of students specifically Ah. were reaching out to me saying, I lost my job opportunity, my internship. Would you talk to me? Do you have any advice? Or can you just listen? And there's only one answer. Of course. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You do all you can. Yes. Yeah. And do you feel like you've found some not answers but do you feel like over those three years you've unpacked that that crisis more and you've learned some stuff about it um i have not and i've also unpacked myself i i have taken a deep dive into my own backstory my own soul and i started seeing a therapist almost two years ago and that's something i never would have told anybody um but Mm -hmm. i realized that some of the things i had gone through were holding me back and people were sharing yeah. their own stories. And I thought, wow, I, I think I've just had a wall up. And it was important yeah. for me to yeah. peel back my own layers. And in the process, I wrote my next book, which comes out in August. Oh, congratulations. How lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. We get some good things out of these terrible things. Sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. So where can <laughs> people uh, find out more about you, Catherine? Uh, you can take a look. I think, do you know what? I think one of the best places to get to know me now is my newsletter, which is um, on Substack, katherinemaydotsubstack.com. Okay. Um, I write three times a fortnight. That's, I know that's a weird interval, but that's the one that seems to work for me. Um, and that will tell you all about my uh, podcast, How We Live Now, uh, which deals, I think we tackle a lot of the same topics that you do, actually. We think about how this how we walk through this life in this very, very peculiar age. Yes. Uh, and that will link you to all my socials and things like that too. So I, I think that's the, the easiest place to find. So I'm on Substack. Yes. Yeah. I'm really enjoying writing on Substack actually. I, I love the freedom to write at length and, and still to have a discussion. You know, it's really important to feel that connection for me. I love that. One last thing I should ask you is if uh, anyone's listening and they're a writer and they're struggling, uh, any advice you could give them for kind of overcoming either writer's block or, you know, imposter syndrome? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only way to get through it is to keep showing up, even if it's for small moments and to write whatever's in front of you rather than putting yourself under pressure to say something meaningful or significant like the the meaning comes actually and I when I work with writers I I see so many people 
who are frozen in the face of like wanting to be significant and they, they're not acknowledging how significant they are as human beings and how fascinating their perception is mm-hmm. and I I change what I am writing all the time like I constantly flirt with other projects and I deliberately try and encounter like media or you know films or exhibitions or music that is new to me and unfamiliar and I keep myself buoyed up not by sticking to the same thing and not by having huge expectations that everything I write will go into a book but instead by just moving my pen across the page and that's how I managed to write this book despite being completely engulfed in in burnout was just to to keep turning up and incrementally writing something and then I can make the decisions afterwards about what bits are, you know go in this book. Yes, but I yeah. have to get I have to get away from that pressure before I can say yes. anything at all. It makes me think of um, don't self don't start editing yourself. Just throw it all out there, and then you can trim it back. But just oh goodness, yeah, you know. And one of my earliest writing teachers when I was fifteen, she was wonderful. She she said there are no wrong answers in creative writing, and her class was called Writing Freely. And I just realized that because I looked at my little report card and it was the only class I did well in. Ah, that's interesting, isn't it? She Mm -hmm. gave you permission to to reflect your own mind, maybe. Exactly. She said, there's no, because she'd say, imagine what it's like swimming in this glass of water that I put on your desk. And we looked at each other like, is she okay? (laughs) And, (laughs) And then, you know, it was this kind of slow unsure process and then I realized she really meant it you can write whatever you want yeah it's a gift and I I do I worry about the way I mean she sounds amazing and I I worry about the way that we're so often teaching creative writing in a way that is formulaic and 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 I actually worry about the violence of marking creative work altogether, yes, like the idea that exactly. you grade it at the end. Yes. Um, I I was listening to Ross Gay's latest book on audiobook. I always listen to his books on audiobook because his voice is so lovely. Um, and he was saying that he that one of the first things he did when he took over his creative writing class was abolished grading. He said he told them that they would everyone would pass. And now what do you do? Like, it yes. doesn't matter. You're not here to get a mark in a book. You're here to, to, to work on your writing. Yes. And I, I so admire that because I, I think people, I think people need the freedom to find their voice and not the voice that the teacher approves of. Because as teachers, we're probably already well out of step with what the next generation is going to write. And we just need to stop getting in people's way. Yes. I love what you just shared. It and it's so true. And it, you know, one of the things I struggled with growing up is I wasn't a test taker and I didn't realize I could self-advocate till I got a little older and being able to say, May yeah. I do something else instead of a test? And I can show you I understand what you've taught, but I can't do the test. And being yeah. comfortable and yeah. you know, speaking up is everything. It's so hard to do that when you're young, though, isn't it? I mean, it's completely you know, as a grand old lady now. I find it very easy to. to annoy you're people. not a grand old like, lady. I don't care anymore? Is that you describe a grand <laughs> old lady? Forward to it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that moment, maybe. But but you know, you you just get a lot less afraid of saying no. I'm not going to do it that way. 
know? Exactly. Like, that's not going to suit me. Yes. It's not what I'm wanting to get out of this experience. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> you know? And you can you can do that with great generosity and kindness. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be a rudeness, but um yeah, whereas I, I loved taking tests. Like I loved you I did loved sitting down in a quiet room. Yeah, I always loved it because I could empty my brain and it was in you know, as an autistic person. The conditions were optimal for me because it was always quiet, whereas the classroom was never quiet. Right. So I was like, great, finally some silence. I'm going to pour out my thoughts on the page. But, <laughs> you know, I realized as I got older that that had kind of led me astray because that's not how knowledge works in the real world. Yes. To be able to pass a test is actually nothing to do with anything, in fact. And, and so I had to really relearn after that how to actually interact with the real world and not the educational world it's so interesting <laughs> thanks for checking out this week's episode of outside the box we're spreading knowledge and compassion through podcasts social events and resources outside the box is committed to facilitating real conversations about real issues that people struggle with every day I hope my movement will not only inspire you to seek the help you need, but also help you learn the importance of self-awareness, mindfulness, and self-compassion. Want to be a guest on Outside the Box? Drop us an email at info at otbseries.com. We drop a new episode every Thursday. And you can check out our socials at OTB Series. For more information, visit otbseries.com.